0: Olympic sport? Curling. Curling. Okay, do you have a favorite summer Olympic sport? Like, a real Olympic sport?
1: Mm, curling. I think curling, curling should be a <laughs> it's summer cur- Olympic sport. <laughs> I
0: just, what, still do curling on ice in the summer? Yeah. That sounds like a terrible idea. Why
1: not? It's hot
0: outside.
1: You're on ice. I mean, the power bill would be through the roof, but...
0: <laughs> okay. Do you remember the mess that the Rio Olympics was? 2016?
1: Yeah, the
0: concerns with the water and... The gross pools. Yep. Zika. Yep, all of it. All of it. So, we're going to talk today about an even bigger mess of Olympics. The 1904 Olympics. What? (laughs) What? Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm your host, Jordan Roush, and today I have a co-host, my husband. Jeremy Roush. Um I've love telling Jeremy the stories um that I prepared for the podcast while well, I'm getting ready um getting them ready for you guys, and I thought it'd be fun for you guys to hear some of his reactions that I get from him when I tell him them first. So if this goes well, and you guys like Jeremy, this could become a regular thing. If you guys decide that you'd rather just have him as a host, well then, that's too bad. Because I'm the one with the stories and the facts.
1: Also, I've been told by my classmates that I have uh, great dad jokes that they don't appreciate during all hours of class. So hopefully I get a little bit better reception here.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, so to get started, um little background for the Olympics. I think we all know that the Olympic Games started in Greece a long, long time ago. Um the Olympic Games were started in ancient Greece as a part of a religious festival to honor the Greek god Zeus. They were held in Olympia, which was a rural sanctuary city in the western Peloponnese. <laughs> What That's, was that? It's a uh, Peloponnesos, but say it.
1: Did you say the Greek? Same, did you say the same place both <laughs> times? Because it sounded like yeah. you said two totally. No, I names.
0: definitely said it the the same both times. Just one was a lot more mumbled and faster. Uh, the exact start of the games is not known. Some say 776 BC, and some experts saying as early as the ninth century BC. So, a long time ago. Uh, All athletes competed naked, no matter what sport you did. Um, Though the wrestlers and pancreation athletes, which pancration is like a mixed martial art with like boxing, wrestling, kind of like UFC, but completely naked. Yeah. But those guys did cover themselves up in oil to make themselves slippery. (laughs) So still thing. naked, so just, just naked and just, slippery. Just naked and slippery. Yeah. Uh, other events, so all the events were boxing, chariot racing, long jump, javelin, discus, pancreation, running, and wrestling. Um, There's wasn't a bunch of rules when they first started, of course. Um, number one rule, though, was no ladies, because history. Yeah, i fights and whatnot. Yeah. There was none no, exactly. uh, uh there were two rules in pancreation, which was no biting and no gouging um not I think about similar rules for boxing, but they were also encouraged to avoid hitting the others in the genitalia, ah. but it says that wasn't a rule, it was just they were encouraged not to, yeah. so just kind like of a, a sportsmanship, yeah, it just rule. frowned upon yeah. uh so I think this is how you say it, um. And if this is a technical boxing term, like modern boxing, I don't know. But it says boxers who could not be separated could opt for climax. Nice. But it's <laughs> it's climax spelled with a K instead of a C. And so, but you guess what that is? Guess okay, so if you can't separate the boxers, they can say, I want climax. And what do you think that that means that they got to do I, <laughs> to settle it? I
1: have some guesses, but I don't think they're appropriate.
0: <laughs> so it's actually where one fighter could get a free unblocked hit at the other boxer, and then the other boxer got to go. So it was just like the one guy had to just stand there and take a hit, and then the other guy got to go, and then the first person to get to hit was decided by a coin toss. Just you know, like games today <laughs> right. really similar um when the romans gained power and influence in greece the games de- the games began to decline in popularity the last held ancient olympic games were held in 393 a.d when the emperor theodosius I decreed that all pagan cults and practices be eliminated So that's ancient games. The modern Olympic Games had their start in 1856 when a rich Greek-Romanian philanthropist, Evangelos Zappas, wrote to King Otto of Greece and offered to fund fund a modern revival of the Olympic Games, and King Otto accepted, mainly because Zappas uh also offered just to pay for it all. Uh
1: it's a free show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're gonna pay for everything. Yeah,
0: sure. Uh so the the first Olympic Games were held in Athens city square, and athletes from Greece and the Ottoman Empire competed. Zappas then funded the restoration of the ancient Panathenaic stadium for future Olympic Games. Now, around the same time, in the 1800s, other countries in Europe uh, started their own versions of the Olympic Games. The Wenlock Olympian Games were held in Shropshire, England, and was founded by a super English named guy, William Pennybrooks, in 1850. The events included football and cricket. Because it's England. uh, On top of your, you know, other Olympic games like running and stuff like that. Um, But then they also had weird events that were mostly to get spectators to come. Like old women's race. Where they just got a bunch of old ladies to race against each other. (laughs) And a blindfolded wheelbarrow race. Um, So William Pennybrooks invited a French aristocrat named Pierre... De Couperton, which I guarantee is not how you say it, imagine that, but with a French accent, (laughs) to Couperton, Couperton. to the 1890 Wenlock Olympian Games, and Pierre was inspired to create the International Olympic Committee. So the first meeting of the Olympic Congress of the International Olympic Committee was held in June 18. Ninety-four, where it was decided that the Games would be held every four years and the host city would rotate between different participating countries each time. The delegates from 34 countries voted to have the first Games in Athens, Greece in 1896 to pay homage to the original Olympic Games. Pierre was then able to host the second Olympic Games in 1900 in his home country of France. So after the 1900 games, countries would then start to bid to host the Olympics, just like they do now. So basically, it's kind of a country that bids, but it's cities too. So several cities of the same country can bid and be like, we can afford to have the Olympics. Like, we have enough people to build all this stuff. We can host people. So for the 1904 games, Chicago, Illinois, won the bid to host them. Because, mainly because Chicago was the only city to put in a bid <laughs> to host, so they just automatically won. Shortly after it was announced that Chicago would host, though, the International Olympic Committee started to receive pushback from another city, St. Louis. St. Louis was planning on hosting the World Fair in 1904 as well, and thought that if the Olympics should be held anywhere in 1904, they should be held in the same city as the World Fair. Um, St. Louis threatened to host their own athletic competitions if the Olympic Committee didn't change the Olympics from Chicago to St. Louis, so Pierre reluctantly agreed to switch cities for the 1904 Games. However, he refused to attend. Later on, Pierre would say that he had a sort of presentiment that the Olympiad would match the mediocrity of the town. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> just... That hey. the
1: competitors would, would be terrible, like St. Louis. <laughs> yeah. And please note, I'm a fan of St. Louis. Been there many times to, to support the Cardinals. But I understand. And
0: especially, like, I feel like in 1904, where, you know, it was in Athens and Paris. And then you're like, St. Louis, okay. But, well, 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 <laughs> but well. then nobody, like, international
1: Wait. knows. Wait a minute. The gateway to the West?
0: Okay. I feel like nobody but Americans cared, though.
1: Mm.
0: Touche. Yeah. And so, Pierre wasn't the only person to stick his nose up at St. Louis. Travel to St. Louis for anyone outside of the United States would be very slow and expensive because you have to get across the Atlantic Ocean, and then you have to get into the middle of the United States afterwards. So many countries just didn't send well, athletes.
1: Canadians.
0: Well, I'm get, I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. Um, so, out of the 34 countries that had delegates, only 12 countries set athletes. And of the 650 athletes that competed at the games, only 100 were not from the United States. So 600 athletes. There were 650 athletes, and, and uh, 550 of them were Americans. <laughs> Talk about... Just stacking the deck, <laughs> right? and then of those 100 that were not Americans, uh, 50 were from Canada. <laughs> <So> <laughs> we got 550 Americans.
1: So North America just stacking the deck.
0: 50 Canadians, and then 50. 50 people from the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> the odds are in our favor. <laughs> Uh, most Olympic games, just like now, lasted around about two weeks back then. Um, but even when they were supposed to be in Chicago, they were only supposed to last a week. But because the World Fair was going to last for months, they decided so would the 1904 Olympic Games, and those games lasted for 146 days. So wow. for almost five months, the wow. Olympics went on. So that also was pe- people were like, we just don't care. We're just not sending people right. for five months.
1: Right. Expensive to send somebody somewhere for
0: five months. Yeah. Um. So because they lasted for about five months, in between the Olympic athletic events, the World Fair would also throw in their own athletic competitions, like an Irish sports festival or a YMCA basketball tournament. <laughs> So the, And this also created confusion about which events were official Olympic events. I think some people were competing in the YMCA basketball tournament. and They're like, we won! Where's our gold medal? Thinking
1: <laughs> like, they're going to get... Yeah.
0: We're world athletes. Right? Despite the Olympics starting to seem like a joke, especially compared to the insanely talented Olympics we hold now, there were some historic and awesome moments. The main one that I loved was... George Eiser, he was a bookkeeper in St. Louis for a construction company, and he had also joined a local gymnastics club, and he was competing in the gymnastics part of the Olympics.
1: Floor routine?
0: Uh, all of it. Oh, nice. They also had rope climbing as one of the events I saw, like a 25-foot rope climb, but they had like bulbs. Was that and
1: a, Was the rope climb timed, or I was don't, it about showmanship? I
0: don't know. <laughs> I hope it was about showmanship. (laughs) Or time. It was probably time. (laughs) But we can only hope. But George also had one wooden leg. He had to have most of his left leg amputated as a child when a train ran over it. What? Yeah. Isn't that kind of insane? Nuts. Yeah. Especially back then. Uh, The late 1800s. I feel like he was probably this close to death. Like amazing he survived Yeah, back then.
1: Ab- absolutely. So then was he...
0: I also feel this is when people were really amputation-happy. It was right after the Civil War. Everybody just wanted to cut off limbs. Look, we figured it out! <laughs> Let me try on you!
1: Modern medicine. <laughs> yeah. Just amputate. Yeah. We'll be alright.
0: Exactly. It was just their solution to everything.
1: Either that or die from an infection.
0: Got a cold? Cut off your nose. <laughs> amputate it.
1: Does this mean... Was he the first individual with a prosthetic limb to
0: compete in the Olympics? As far as I could find, yes. And in the third Olympics. That's awesome. Yeah. And it was a wooden leg. Yeah. I can't. I'm impressed by anybody that has like a super modern prosthetic and can like even run. Yeah. Like not even even compete in the Olympics. Just like go running. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. This guy was doing gymnastics on a wooden leg. Which I can't feel is comfortable. And he probably got so many slivers. Yeah, so he has a wooden leg. But he won six medals for the United States in gymnastics. And three of them were gold. And I like to think it's just because he was really good at gymnastics. And not because he was one of the only people there that could do some sort of gymnastics.
1: (laughs) Do you know how many people
0: competed in gymnastics? No. And it could have just been All-Americans. I don't know. I didn't look that far into it. Like I said, not a bunch of country-set people, so. (laughs) So, in between, watching George kick butt at gymnastics with his wooden leg, spectators could go visit exhibits at the World Fair, and there were all kinds of things to see and experience. Visitors could go see the cabin where Abraham Lincoln grew up as a boy. Uh, The first x-ray machine was there, so you could just, you know... Pay a nickel and go get your arm x rayed, <laughs> yeah. dilator of cancer that we didn't know about until then
1: from all the radiation exposure, yeah.
0: Uh, or eat new fangled food like cotton candy what? at the
1: World Fair. What is that? That's, uh, that's like hair, it looks like hair. What is that? They probably, but it tastes so good, sugar. <laughs>
0: All those poor parents. They had no idea what they are getting into. Uh, Another exhibit you could go visit at the World Fair was the Human Zoo.
1: Human Zoo?
0: Human Zoo. Uh, Visitors could walk... You mean St. Louis. (laughs) Yeah. No. Worse. St. Louis, but worse. Visitors could walk through different exhibits that were built to replicate native habitats of different villages from around the world. Kind of like how zoos do it for animals, but this is for humans. It was called the Philippine Village, named after America's newly acquired territory and spread out over 47 acres. Uh, The largest exhibit displayed a replicated village of the Philippines and had real people from the Philippines living out their days like they were back home, but, you know, this time in a cage while people watched. Huh. Uh, There are also villages for pygmies from Central Africa, Native Americans from Mexico, Syrians, Turks, etc. You know, any indigenous people that white people could grab and bring to St. Louis, (laughs) put on display. This exhibit was the brainchild of the head of the fair's Department of Physical Culture, James E. Sullivan. When James learned that the Olympics were also going to be held in St. Louis during the fair, he had another idea. James proposed that the fair hold, and this is his phrase and not mine, James proposed that the fair hold a special Olympics, where the indigenous people would perform in the same events as all the white guys, but in their own special Olympics. Uh, he kind of came up with this quickly. I think he basically already had his indigenous people zoo, and then he saw Olympics going on. He was like, "Oh, let's just get these indigenous people, these people in on way. it too." Yeah. yeah, but it was obviously a mess, mostly because these indigenous people had never learned how to compete in these events before, had never practiced these events before. And they didn't know the rules because they didn't speak English. Right. So they just, it didn't work out. And uh, James was like, oh, see these indigenous people, they're obviously not as smart as white people because they can't figure out how to play these games. But obviously that's not true. He was just trying to twist it in his tiny white supremacist mind. Um, To his favor. Yeah. So, Pierre de Couperton, Mm -hmm. the international Olympics guy, heard about this while he's back in France. Heard about the Special Olympics and said, As for that outrageous charade, it will, of course, lose its appeal when black men, red men, and yellow men learn to run, jump, and throw and leave the white men behind them. And how right Pierre was... (laughs) Despite all of James Sullivan's best racist efforts, the 1904 Olympics didn't prove that any race was inferior to any other race. Uh, George Pogue became the first African American to win an Olympic medal when he took home the bronze in the 400-meter hurdles. There was also actually quite a bit of diversity in the Olympics' main event, the marathon race. Uh, Two men from the Tswana tribe of South Africa competed, so did Frank Pierce, the first Native American Olympian. Uh, among them were also experienced American marathoners, Sam Meller, A.L. Newton, John Lorden, Michael Spring, and Thomas Hicks. Uh, the rest of the racers had never run a marathon before, but they decided to give it the old Olympic try. They thought it sounded like fun, including 10 Greeks and one five-foot-tall Cuban named Felix Carbajal. Felix raised money to come to St. Louis for the Olympic Games by trekking along the length of the island of Cuba. However, once Felix got to New Orleans, he lost all of his money on a dice game and had to walk and hitchhike uh, all the way from New Orleans to St. Louis. On the day of the marathon... It was night, and it was in the nineties, and like you know, and I know cause I've been to St. Louis before, it can get pretty humid in St. Louis, so I can't imagine that sounds like a good day to be running uh, Felix showed up to the starting line wearing a long-sleeved white shirt, dark pants, a beret, and a pair of street shoes cause that's all he had. <laughs> But before the race started, a fellow Olympian took pity on Felix and at least cut his pants into shorts. Nice. The 24.85 mile course was not an easy flat course either. One official called it the most difficult a human being was ever asked to run over. Most of it consisted of roads that were, in- that were mm-hmm. inches deep in dust. There were seven hills along the course, varying from 100 feet to 300 feet in elevation changes. Uh, Oh, yeah, and they didn't shut down any roads that the racers had to cross.
1: Uh, Obstacles.
0: (laughs) Obstacles. So, yeah. So while also competing with each other, they would also have to dodge traffic, railroad trains, trolley cars, and large groups of people just trying to make their way in and out of the World Fair. Uh, there were also only two water stations along the entire course. One was a water tower at the six-mile mark, and the second was a roadside well at the 12-mile mark. So when I say water stops, I just mean places where there is water that these guys would just have to still go get themselves. It wasn't like cups of volunteers, water. Volunteers, yeah, volunteers. <laughs> yeah, there here, were no yeah. No. <laughs> volunteer organization sitting there with cups. No. There's no Gatorade. There's two places that had water where it was at. That you could get water at. Uh, So, yeah. So then that second one was at the 12-mile mark. So then you have to finish the last 12.85 miles of the race without water. In 90-degree heat. So do you have a guess for the genius that set up this course was. Mm -hmm.
1: The guy that tried to do the Special Olympics. The guy that
0: also came up with Special Olympics, James E. Sullivan, because he's the absolute worst. The worst. The worst. That guy is in hell for sure. Now.
1: For sure. Well, I mean, he might have family that's still living, so let's not talk
0: about the dead that way. No, that that guy deserves (laughs) to be in hell. I don't care. They probably, his family probably knows it too. Well, okay. (laughs) I guess you should,
1: one could concede that that was a terrible idea.
0: All of his ideas were obviously terrible ideas. How did this guy make it so high up? I'm saying, like,
1: you don't know what his family does nowadays.
0: I think this guy, anyways, James Sullivan is the worst. He said that he only wanted to do the two water stops along the race. Because he wanted to test the limits and effect of purposeful dehydration. Because why wouldn't you just do that on your own time instead of force Olympic athletes to, to do, do it? it? In yeah. the middle of a competition. Yeah.
1: To see who is the best.
0: Oh, are you a scientist, James E. Sullivan? Are you? Your own little sick experiments on these people? So, at 3.03 p.m., the starting pistol fired and the men were off. Fred Lors, a bricklayer that had only trained at night after work, led the pack at the beginning of the race. After the first mile, though, Thomas Hicks, one of the experienced marathoners, took the lead. They ran along cars that would kick up dust on the road and racers would start having coughing spells. William Garcia from California collapsed and ripped open his stomach lining from coughing so hard. He had to be rushed to the hospital because he was hemorrhaging, and they said if he would have been out there on the course for another hour, he would have just bled to death. Wow, because it was that was it was so dusty. He, cough, he was coughing so hard. John Lorden, another one of the Americans, began to vomit violently along the course, and then so he just gave up uh Len Tao, one of the South African racers of the Swana tribe, was chased a mile off of the course by a pack of feral dogs. So, obstacles.
1: So now you've got dust, cars, railroad, trolleys, feral dogs. Feral dogs.
0: The state li- And no water. The the mm. the infamous uh packs of feral dogs running around St. Louis. Yes. Yeah, so he gets chased off. Uh, Felix, the short little Cuban guy that came in pants, uh, he was actually holding his own though, and he was keeping a good pace despite his non-aerodynamic outfit. Probably because he got such in good shape having to walk all the way from New from Orleans. New Orleans <laughs> yeah, to St. <Saint> Louis. <laughs> yeah, uh, he would take breaks every now and then though to talk with spectators in broken English. He was having just. A good time. Networking event. Yeah, just hanging out.
1: It was a networking event. Yeah,
0: yeah. Don't take yourself too seriously, even if you're at the Olympics. Right. So, while running, he ran by some people that were eating peaches in their stopped car. So, he stopped to talk to them, and then he asked for a peach, and they're like, No, get out (laughs) of here. These are our peaches. So, he grabbed two of their peaches, and he ran off. (laughs) Uh, A little bit after he finished the stolen peaches... He, the course took him by an orchard. So he's like, oh, well, I'm still hungry. I'm going to grab a couple of these apples and eat them. Turns out the apples were rotten and Felix started getting stomach cramps. So he laid down and took a nap. So (laughs) he just, yeah, just napped, just napped in in the middle of the marathon. And ate a snack. Ate a few snacks, then decided to take a nap.
1: Spirit animal.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Sam Miller was now in the lead, but then he started to have cramps, too. He slowed down and tried to walk them off, but after they didn't go away, he just stopped completely. He was just like, no, I'm I'm, I'm done. Frank Lors, the guy that only ran at night to train, mm-hmm. uh, he also got cramps at mile 9. And it's probably because it's so hot out and there's no water.
1: Well, they had think... water at, what, mile 6 and mile 12? Yeah. So probably poorly conditioned as well.
0: (laughs) I mean, so Frank Lors gets cramps at mile nine. It's been three miles since he's had water. But, yeah. So he's like, okay, I don't feel good. I'm getting cramps. He waves down a car and he jumps in. And so (laughs) then he just waves at spectators in the other races. Okay, bye. (laughs) I'm, I'm over it. Uh, so the American favorite, Thomas Hicks, he got to mile 10 and he started to beg the men that were there for a drink of water, but they refused because James E. Sullivan told them not to give them water, except for those two spots. Instead of a glass of water, though, they did sponge his mouth with warm distilled water. So, Wait, warm that,
1: distilled water? Yeah.
0: What's the difference? Between what? Water and So I guess water. I mean I guess it just wasn't out of a puddle on the side of the road. <laughs> it was or like, wasn't like like it was it wasn't out of it was distilled.
1: So they gave him water.
0: Yes, but instead of giving him a glass of water, they just wet a sponge and they're like, they're like, pop out your tongue, and he popped out his tongue, and they're like, that's a sponge noise. <laughs> and he was like mm, thanks that really what the whistle
1: literally
0: literally that was about it that was it that's all he got but it was just enough to keep him going at seven miles away from the finish line his he had handlers with him his trainers and they're like all right we're gonna give you something to keep you going So they gave him a mixture of strychnine and egg whites. Strychnine. Strychnine, which was considered a performance-enhancing drug back then, and there were no rules back then in the Olympics about performance-enhancing drugs.
1: But strychnine is also Um, used nowadays to poison coyotes and uh, dogs.
0: Yeah, rats, coyotes, dogs. So... Yeah, don't use that. As so they were turning his
1: body into a solution for the feral dog problem of St. Louis. <laughs> that was the plan. That was the
0: plan. I bet that was the trainer's real plan. Right. And I just like, because you always read about this kind of stuff, like late 1800s. Really, anything I feel like before 1950, people were just guessing Yeah. about everything. Yeah, ah, performance enhancing. They're like, oh, what's this? I don't know. Probably will help. Yeah. Let's give that to you. Just take it. Yeah. Apparently his team also had some brandy to give to him, but they wanted to see how he handled the strychnine first. For all you kids out there, neither brandy nor strychnine will help you run faster. Both of them will have the opposite effect (laughs) on you. Neither are performance-enhancing drugs. People back then just didn't know what they were doing. So after riding in a car for 11 miles, you remember Frank, the guy that got in the car around mile nine? So after riding in the car for about 11 miles, his cramps are gone. (laughs) He's feeling way better. He's like, I can run again. So he gets out of the car and gets back onto the course. Frank runs by Thomas Hicks, who's dying of poison. (laughs) Strychnine. Strychnine. Poison. Rat poison. He's like, Hey, bye. (laughs) And he runs towards the finish line and crosses. And his he gets a time of just under three hours. (laughs) Super awesome. And the crowd is chanting, an American one, an American one. Which, first of all, the odds were heavily in your favor to begin with. But I guess... Yeah, so they're super excited. Alice Roosevelt, uh, President Teddy Roosevelt's 20-year-old daughter, she places a wreath uh, on Frank's head. Uh, Then she's just about to put the gold medal around his neck when someone yells out that he's an imposter. They're like, hey, that guy was in a car. (laughs) So then everybody goes to being like, America, America. They just start booing him. And he was like, "Ah, oh, it's okay, guys. It was a joke. I never meant. To- I was never gonna take this. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Don't worry no, about it. It was a joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah, kidding. Yeah. yeah, jokes on you guys. Ha yeah, yeah. ha. <laughs> yeah. But so, Thomas Hicks, dying of dehydration and strychnine poisoning, uh, still not doing hot. But when he found out that Frank had been disqualified. He, and was told that he was in the lead, he forced himself to start jogging again. His trainers gave him more egg whites and strychnine oh, to help him finish. PDs. Yeah. yeah, P.D. yeah. Because they don't know anything. But this time they did give him brandy to wash it down with. So, oh. good guys. Obviously have medical knowledge and know what they're doing to help him or not just no they definitely don't he was thirsty but instead of giving him water to drink they just poured it on top of his head like friends (laughs) like friends do but he starts to pick up his pace a little more a race official that saw him said over the last two miles of the road hicks was running mechanically like a well-oiled piece of machinery which that sounds good But then he also says his eyes were dull, lusterless. The ashen color of his face and skin had deepened. His arms appeared as weights well tied down. He could scarcely lift his legs while his knees were almost stiff. So I'm confused by this guy's statement because he says he's running like a well-oiled machine. And then he describes somebody that sounds like a not well-oiled machine. <laughs> the exact opposite of well-oiled <laughs> yeah. machine. So maybe this guy doesn't know what a well-oiled machine is because it's 1904. Maybe he's never seen one and he's just guessing what they look like. I mean, you, you think about it. A well-oiled machine
1: doesn't mean fast. <laughs> it just means mechanical, right?
0: But nothing. So ever- he
1: was just doing the left foot, right foot, left foot, <laughs> right foot, left foot, right foot. And that was probably about it. Sure,
0: yeah, sure. Around that last mile though, Hicks starts to hallucinate because he's dying of poison. <laughs> uh, he started to believe that he had just started the race, and the finish line was still twenty miles away. Then he started to beg to get something to eat, and then he started to beg to be uh let uh to just lay down. So his team, what did they do? Luckily they were out of strychnine. So they <laughs> So they just gave him brandy and egg whites. Which probably helped at this point. That more help...
1: Helped delete delete all the strict nine he's already. Yeah.
0: (laughs) There were two hills between Hicks and the finish line. He walked up them and then he would jog back down. Just before the finish line, though, he was only able to just barely shuffle his feet and was just like tripping over himself. So his trainers, they picked him up and they basically got one arm around each of their shoulders, and they lifted him up, and they said his feet were still moving back and forth, even though they weren't touching the (laughs) ground. But that's how they carried him that way over the finish line. And apparently, that counted as him winning. (laughs) He's declared the winner.
1: Uh, He was declared the winner.
0: Yeah, even though people carried him across the finish line. I think they just didn't want to, like... This Wait, guy, well, wait this, any longer well, for a real later Yeah. <laughs> like, we've been here for forever. Yeah. And this guy... So was his time? They didn't say. Yeah. But I guess the guy... I think the other guy had just like... I don't know. Because it sounds like he was crawling. So uh. I can't even go by Frank's time.
1: Yeah.
0: Frank was under three hours, but this guy was basically crawling fighting through rat poison. Frank, Frank the guy who got a car ride. Yeah, Frank's the guy, the guy who got a car ride. He got under three hours, and that's the only time that I saw. <laughs> but he also rode in a car for 11 miles. <laughs> for so.
1: almost half of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so Thomas Hicks is the winner. Alice Roosevelt, she puts the wreath on him.
1: Yeah. Gives
0: him the gold medal. They play Star Spangled Banner. Everybody starts shouting America again. Uh, I don't really know about who else finished, because I think people just mainly cared about Frank and Thomas. Uh, and then I think the Cuban guy, yeah. I think he just napped and he never finished. But the both the South African guys, mm-hmm. they did finish. That one guy came back after the wild dogs chased him off. He only had to run for like a mile off course and then a mile oh, that's back. It. That's it. That's it. That's yeah, it. Just the so, next miles. so yeah, so he ended up running uh twenty six over twenty six miles instead of only twenty four. It's fine. But uh they came in fifth and twelfth, so there was obviously more people that finished. We just don't care. Or know who. Or know who. Hicks had lost eight pounds during the race, and it took four doctors to get him feeling well enough to even leave the fairgrounds to go get more medical treatment.
1: I just now that you say fairgrounds, I just imagine like the country fair and a bunch of people like having a good time and they're like, oh, hey, like this is the end point for a marathon in the yeah. Olympics. And we're just eating our cotton candy and drinking beer. And
0: I think that's exactly what it was. <clears throat>
1: our prono pups.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think that's exactly what it was like.
1: Mm. Oh, the nineteen people people
0: Olympics. getting those like uh spray paint shirts <laughs> and hats and hats yeah yeah, really really cool. Yep.
1: And the paintings where you can drip the paint onto the spinning piece of paper yeah, and <clears throat> while very cool, they all look the same.
0: yes they do. yes they do. <laughs> yeah, so they're doing that while they're waiting for people that have rat poison in their bodies to crawl across the finish line. They're like, oh hey, you made it back. Finally, cool. Thomas Hicks said of the race, Never in my life have I run such a tough course. The terrific hills simply tear a man to pieces. Want to know what I think tore him to pieces? The rat poison <laughs> that he washed down with brandy. I don't think it was the hills, Tom. <laughs> I think your trainers were trying to kill you. Yeah. Thomas Hicks and Frank Lores would actually race against each other again the next year in the Boston Marathon. Frank would beat Thomas, and as far as we know, did not use a car at the Boston Marathon. Actually beat him right out, so good for Frank. Yeah. Actually, no. I, I wish Thomas would beat him, because <laughs> Thomas went Thomas went through it. Yeah, he went through some shit. But to be fair, he is the one that got the gold medal at the Olympics, so yeah. Yeah. whatever.
1: You know, yeah, strict
0: nine, yeah, gold medals. He really, he that did, really
1: balances out. But he
0: deserved, he deserved <laughs> that gold medal for sure.
1: For, like, well, I'm not saying he didn't, but I'm just saying: is a gold medal really worth poisoning your body for?
0: I mean, he most, made, you know, I mean, he obviously made it.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: and was able to run again. Not great because he lost, <laughs> but he made it. He survived. So that's the. Uh, that's the nineteen o four Olympics just a just a hot mess in St. Louis,
1: just like you were
0: just me wasn't a hot mess in St Louis
1: St Patrick's
0: day. I was not
1: <laughs> maybe
0: maybe I was if you listeners at home would like to learn more about the nineteen o four Olympics, my sources for this episode were. Much Winlock by Ben Johnson, Eight Unusual Facts About the 1904 St. Louis Olympics by Evan Andrews, A Britannica's article, St. Louis 1904 Olympic Games, Remembering the Anthropology Days at the 1904 Olympics by Nate Dimio and The 1904 Olympic Marathon May Have Been the Strangest Ever by Karen Abbott. If you would like to support this podcast, please visit patreon.com and search for America the Bizarre. We have some fun rewards for becoming an America the Bizarre supporter. Extra content is extra episodes that only supporters of the podcast get to listen to. They'll also be accepted into our private Facebook group, America the Bizarre Super Pack yep and so on on that facebook group we will have fun chats we'll do quizzes you guys get to vote on upcoming episodes both the secret ones and the ones that everybody gets to listen to but yeah uh also please subscribe and rate uh, america the bizarre on itunes Let me know if you want to keep Jeremy around for future episodes. Do or
1: don't. I I had fun. Good. Good, good. So please,
0: I mean, it's up to you. I liked having you here. I like talking to you about it. Uh, You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Anything you wanted to say before we go? Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Until next time, stay weird, America.